0: Well, I finally arrived here at ICOM. Wasn't too hard to find. There's a big tower up there. Hi, Ray.
1: How you doing today, George?
0: Good to see you.
1: I'm glad you made it through all the infamous uh, Seattle traffic.
0: I did, and it was kind of hairy, a little more than we have in Jackson. Well, this is a nice-looking facility here. Why don't you show me around a bit? Be glad to. Come on. So here we are, right here, and I guess that's our buddies up in Canada above us.
1: Yes, sir, the ICOM Canada, and you started out somewhere about right in here yesterday morning. Well, what we're showing here is the different ICOM subsidiaries or ICOM branches. We've got ICOM Brazil, UK, Germany, France, locations in China as well as our global headquarters in Osaka, Japan. Got them down under, too. ICOM Australia as well as ICOM New Zealand. So a vast array of locations.
0: N7IH, the home of ICOM America. Let's take a look around. As we step through the front door, we notice there's three operator positions here in the ham shack featuring both current and vintage ICOM gear.
1: As we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, the corner of the ham shack right when you walk in is a tribute to Mr. Inouye. Uh, Mr. Inouye is the founder of ICOM, J-A-3-F-A, lifetime membership award for ARRL, as well as this beautiful article from the 2001 August issue of CQ Magazine.
0: Some of these rigs in here I'm not really familiar with, so I asked Ray here to step in and tell us a little bit about them.
1: Well, in each one of our operating positions, we've got a historical piece that ICOM uh, made famous with and then uh, the current model for it. This particular corner is our VHF-UHF, the IC970, which is a VHF-UHF all-mode radio. One of the cool things about it with how big the radio itself is, it would fit into a 19-inch rack. But not only that, internally, There were optional modules you could buy for it. There's an optional 1.2 gig, a 2.4 gig for satellite operation, and then a wideband receiver. Back in the early days of wideband commercial receiver, very nice amber display on it. I mean, all the knobs controls everything right there in your face, so for easy operation and. Uh, definitely one of those radios that everybody dreamed about having. Down below that is the 9100. George, I think you did a nice video on that not too long ago. But the 9100 is HF 6-meter, 2-meter, 440. Just like the predecessor, the 970, it is expandable with a
0: 1.2-gig module. Now, the 9100 is all modes, so that means it includes DSTAR, right?
1: Yes sir there's an optional D star module you can install in it. The the way our ham shack is set up is we've got three operating contest points. Right now the the VHF UHF is not functional. All we have right now is just a vertical. Uh, we've got our great Heil N7IH microphone. Thank you Bob. And by the time we have everything fully outfitted over here, we'll have satellite antennas which during my tour with you earlier, George are sitting in one of the garages around here. But nice AzL type rotor to control it as well as a ANOVA. Along with some of the historical pieces, we have the the head unit for the 4KL. We don't have the body any longer, but just to give you an idea, back in the late 80s, everything was large. There was a matching speaker as well as a matching head to go along with the 781, the 970. Everything at that time was designed around a 19-inch console, so everybody was building these beautiful desks with the uh, rack-mount type radios. The 4KL was a 1 kilowatt amplifier. We get a lot of questions with the US being 1.5 kW. Why do we top out at 1 kW? Not everybody has a legal limit of 1500 watts. Uh, globally, the most common power is 1 kW. So the 4KL was a very nice solid state 1 uh, kW amplifier. Everything right on the front panel, able to see you've got your bands that you can operate on. This particular one required an extensive modification to put it on 10 meters. But everything at the touch of a button on the front here, whether it's your current, your SWR, your voltages, temp protection, power out for your second meter, it also had an antenna tuner. And our current model, the, the PW1, is the same way. You've got power supply amplifier and antenna tuner in one box with a remote head so there's antenna tuners in these amps already yes sir pretty much a three to one swr below i mean honestly with today's antenna technology anything higher than a three to one is you're not going to get a whole lot of power out and there's a lot of lost rf that's generated into energy because of it so you're heating up some balance if you don't have a real good load
0: Well, at this operator position, of course, I recognize the IC7700 right here. That's my rig. But what are these other pieces you've got?
1: The one that we're showing here is the 765. It wasn't the originator of the single-receive HF contest type station. That one was actually the 761. Unfortunately, we didn't have one of those, but the 765, I know a lot of contesters that have these out there or at one time had them in their shack. This is a 150 watt base station internal power supply, internal antenna tuner, IF shift, enable to quickly navigate to the different bands by using the band stack register. Along next to that are two matching base station speakers: the older SP20, which matches the 765, the 970, and the 781, and then more recently the SP34, which matches the 7700 and the 7800. While well, we haven't run a contest here yet. Our goal is to be able to put N7IH on contest for both sideband as well as CW. We also have a few ops that come in here to operate during lunch that are phenomenal CW operators. So we need to make sure that we have peripheral equipment that equals the quality of our radios. Hey, George look at what I got right down here yeah that's our foot warmer that's that's the body of the p w one that gives us a smooth kW out and as you saw this morning, jumping from fifteen meters to twenty meters using the step IR antenna was a piece of cake and we were able to jump bands real quick with it when the bands are fading it allows us to reach out and finish the queue before we fade out completely well as we look at our top shelf between the two operating hf stations we've got a old high gain rotor up there supporting the four element stepper next to it the stepper control box and as I was giving you a tour earlier green wire everywhere george
0: yeah that uh, that green wire is necessary isn't it
1: at least for here it is uh, there's all kinds of theories on grounding but the the installation by our icom america systems team was phenomenal everything is grounded uh, one common grounding point from the tower, even though it's in the back of the building. And the noise floor that we have here, considering all the noise sources around the building, in the building, and in the surrounding neighborhood, it's really quiet here, con- taking in all things in consideration. And I think it has a lot to do with what we've got with grounding. Yeah, there's some more of that green wire into a, a ground block, but not only do you see it here in the ham shack, you see it running throughout the entire building. As we have so much RF going in here, whether it's HF, VHF, UHF, marine single sideband, radar, you name it, we've got all kinds of RF bombardment going on here in the building. So we take a little extra precaution to have everything grounded to keep the noise levels down. Then we have the control head for the PW-1. I brought over the 4KL to give you an idea of the contrast and size, but the PW-1 with the automatic antenna tuner, but... For this installation we don't even use the internal antenna tuner because the stepper does a nice job and even in their manual they tell you don't use an internal antenna tuner because it could it could cause you some problems and either burn up the antenna or your amplifier. Jump bands easily. Uh, We don't have it set up remotely because we can switch between the two the two radios. Once you're in a particular band in operating a run, you really don't jump around frequencies as if you do for rag-chewing and just band-hopping. George, right here is our azimuthal equidistant map on HamSpeak Great Circle Map. The reason why this is important is to know which direction to point your beam is because radio wave propagation on a spherical surface is not obvious. We're so used to looking at a flat map where Japan might be west in our thinking, because of a flat map, Japan's really not west. It's, it's more of a northeasterly pattern. Uh, radio travels via the shortest path between two points. And on a great circle map, it's very similar to what pilots do when they, they fly on their polar vectors. So it's, it's not always what you would think based on your flat map. Our final stop here is with the 781 and the 7700. The 781 being introduced in the late 80s as a premier contest station with the Bandscope uh, CRT. The replacement of it being the 7800 with the TFT color display waterfall. A lot of advancements between the, the 20 years between the two radios.
0: This is the historical area of the ICOM facility. And as the word implies, there's a lot of history in here and all these great radios they've made over the years. Let's go back and look at some of the early ones.
1: The historical area covers a lot of things. Some of it has to do with technology. Some has to do with milestones. Others are industry awards. Some of them are sales uh, achievements. But as we're standing here looking, 1964 was the very first product released from Inway. Electric Works Company Limited out of Osaka, Japan. This would be the FDAM 1. 1970, the IC20, ICOM's first 2 meter mobile radio, utilizes crystal controlled oscillators. 1975, marked the beginning of the Marine Division with the ICM 25D. 1976, was the first IC 211. I know quite a few people that have used the 211, the 511 series radios. When I first started at ICOM, that was a big radio. This is a 2-meter rig. This is a 2-meter all-mode station. FM upper, lower sideband CW. 1975, ICOM West established. ICOM radios first imported to America. 1978, International Corporate name changed to ICOM Inc. 1979, ICOM East and ICOM West merged to form ICOM America. A lot of developments in the early 80s. 1980 marked the IC2AT with the thumb wheels on the top. I think almost every ham has had at least once. 1981, the land mobile division started for ICOM with the launch of the IC125. 1981 also marked the introduction of the ICRP-1510 and ICRP-1520 VHF-UHF repeaters. 1982 marked the introduction of several key ICOM radios. The ICM-2, the first marine handheld. The IC-505, ICOM's first commercial all-mode QRP, 6-meter radio. 1983, IC-271, first VHF-UHF base station. 1984, IC-02-AT, first 2-meter amateur handheld with synthesized tuning. To follow along with the fully synthesized VHF Radio, the ICM-5 was also introduced for Marine VHF. 1985, ICOM introduced their first avionic com-only portable with the ICA-2. Also in 1985, the release of the ICR-9000, all-mode, all-band receiver. Also introduced in 1985, the IC735. The IC735 is probably one of the most widely sold radios until ICOM introduced the IC706 series. The IC735 was a nice compact radio that was either used portable as well as mobile and as a base station. George, as everybody's looking at the historical area, one of the nice things that we have done here is put in some of the the either technological advances, milestone radios, or even sales performance leaders for us. It covers all four of our divisions, our aviation, marine, land mobile, as well as the one that I like the most, being the amateur.
0: Ray, we spent a few minutes here at the ICOM America headquarters looking over the historical exhibits and there's just too much here for us to talk about i mean just so many different products for so many different fields this is something you really got to see for yourself oh yeah i mean I, even working here
1: there's so many new products here that it's hard to keep up with and i know i didn't do the other divisions justice but there's definitely a lot of a lot of real cool radios toys to play with as well as commercial to use
0: Well, I'm talking with Scott Bigger here, the System Fulfillments Manager at ICOM America. Hi, Scott. Good to meet you. Hello. So tell me what you do here in the the systems area.
2: Well, what we do is we take uh, customers' requirements of systems, and we assemble them and uh, do all the tuning and alignment, and we provide a complete turnkey package.
0: So it's not just ICOM radios here. It's whatever it takes to make the complete system, right?
2: Correct. So we take uh, many different vendors. Any, any one of these particular racks may have 10, 15 different vendors' products in it.
0: And you do this for, uh, I guess, police and fire and uh, commercial. Uh, what else?
2: Uh, we also do amateur. We do uh, complete systems. Uh, last summer, we built the system for the Boy Scout National Jamboree. It's actually still operating so we completely built up everything here and tested it. And so when it's sented out, it's basically just connect the power and the grounding and the antenna system, and it's, they have a functional system.
0: So what are we standing in front of? There's a lot of racks here. Is this all one project, or is it several?
2: This is actually one project for uh, a county uh, down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So this comprises of both the police and fire and municipal works.
0: Okay, so this is... Not just strictly radios. I'm looking here, there must be some uh, tie-in between uh, data communications and just more than just push-to-talk microphone.
2: Yeah, that's correct. So we have everything from power systems. We have the the battery, uh, the AC systems, the DC systems, the actual radios. um, And then uh, in this case, these are all connected together with microwave. Mm -hmm. So we provide all the data backhaul, the networking from site to site. So it all starts in the design phase. So, as you can see right here, this is actually was laid out well before we even began building the project. So we, we uh, create it in Visio and and get an idea of what it's supposed to look like, and then uh, the team that's actually assembling it will will know how to lay it out. So,
0: so what's this in the top here?
2: Those are actually RF amplifiers, so those are 100-watt amplifiers, so we drive them uh, at low low power, so the ICOM radio is just kind of loafing along at a, a low low output power, and uh, we develop the full 100-watt output from that.
0: And this is an ICOM uh, radio, or repeater?
2: Correct, it's actually a repeater. Um, this is, does both our analog and our digital formats, so... And then we have it tied into, um, in this case, an Avtech console. So there would be a dispatch operator sitting at a console remotely. And it's all controlled over IP.
0: And this is your switch, I guess, that ties everything together?
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: What are these down here?
2: This is actually our hub site. There's our main central site. and uh, So these are actually the microwave radios. So there's actually six different sites that all project out from this one. So each one of these is a, a microwave shot to another location.
0: These are, are more ICOM uh, radios, repeaters?
2: Yes, yeah, correct. It, it, these are all being operated in the digital mode. So there's actually four different subsystems that are in this overall system. And then below that, we have our uh, DC distribution. We have a 140-Amp power supply that is then run into this IP-controlled distribution panel. So then all of the equipment here is powered off this one panel.
0: And then a, a nice big battery down here to back it all up.
2: Oh, with public safety, you have to have that. So we have uh, generators as well that are on the site. So the batteries are just to absorb the, uh, the spin-up time of the, of the generators.
0: So it's just smooth transition from commercial to generator. That's correct. But let's look around behind the back. Your power amplifier is up here, and I see you've got the uh, coaxes all bundled together. Everything in here is nice and neat tie-wrapped. And these harnesses, I guess you all built every bit of this yourself to to custom fit this particular system.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Everything is uh, custom cut. The uh, All the RF cabling is uh, cut to resonant frequency so that we get maximum power transfer between the devices. Uh, the DC... Uh, it's all run together, ACs run together, um, you know, all our networking cables, and probably the most important part is our grounding. Uh, we, we follow a, a grounding standard called R56, which every, every device is connected to single-point ground, which is very critical in, in performance of a radio system.
0: Now, what are these right here with the heat sinks I see around these coaxes? Is, is that, uh, I don't know, some kind of filter? What is that?
2: <laughs> Those are actually attenuators. So in particular system we have here, uh, we had a need to have one radio talk to another without actually going over the air. Wow. So we've got um, 120 dB of attenuation between this transmitter and this receiver so that uh, we can provide a seamless connection. This
0: looks really nice here. I would say this looks like a factory job, and I guess in effect it is.
2: <laughs> Correct. We're, these aren't quite completed yet, but uh, they they will be shortly. We're almost done with this system. So, but every cable will have uh, an ID tag on it. There'll be a complete uh, as-built package with it when it's done. So there'll be about a phone book thick sized packet of documentation on where every single piece of wire goes and its length and all its all its test criteria.
0: Wow. So it should be easy to maintain once it's out in the field.
2: That's the idea. So hopefully our dealers and customers can maintain the system themselves without us having to uh, be there for them. But we are when they need us. What we have here is uh, some of our state-of-the-art test equipment. So it's one of the benefits of having our, our customers um, come to ICOM is that you know, we maintain the, the newest, highest quality equipment. And so in a lot of cases, they won't have to. So a lot of these equipment can be very expensive you know, for individual dealers and their customers to have. So we will do the alignment and the configuration for them using our state-of-line equipment um, and provide a service to, to everyone.
0: So when you deliver a system, the people can feel confident that everything's been properly aligned and tuned. And you've got the specs to back it up.
2: That is correct. We actually tune and align every single uh, repeater that leaves here. We touch every one. So whether it needs to be adjusted or not, we check it. We document it. We save that that documentation for future use. We save all the programming information that uh, went into that product. So a year from now, they need another one exactly the same. We can take that same information and and create an exact duplicate of it.
0: This kind of looks familiar, Scott.
2: Well, this is actually a transmit combiner and a receive multi-coupler. So uh, in a case that a site that has multiple transmitters, uh, we're able to bring all those transmitters together in uh, this type of filtering to have a single transmit antenna. So we follow the same thing where everything's pre-documented uh, ahead of time. Uh, design's all laid out, and then, uh, we, you know, it's assembled and built. And then uh, we'll also provide all the documentation of the sweeps and everything else when it's, when it's done as part of our as build.
0: So they don't have to worry about making it work theirself. It's going to work when it gets there.
2: Yeah, correct. We try to have everything ready. So they just have to take it off the shipping container and bolt it down and plug it in, and they should have a working system.
0: Well, I know a lot of cases, uh, the duplexers and filters and such are really kind of where a repeater system falls down if people don't touch it just right.
2: Yeah, it's quite an art form. You know the guy the guys here are technicians here you know tune thousands of them so they have the experience to get it right. Scott,
0: tell us what's going on right here.
2: Well, in this case, we're doing some custom work for one of our customers and um, actually taking uh, custom, making custom front face plates uh for the for the radios, so very intricate work, and we have a team of highly skilled individuals to uh take care of that. So they do all that work right here on site? Correct. Almost all of our work is done here. We, we try to do everything in-house.
0: Some of the gear here they need to do this kind of work, they have to build themselves, and, and they've done it right here with the power supply with multiple power poles on the rear. Some of the staff has already gone for the day, but I see you got one guy here who's doing a little studying for his license.
2: Actually, that's uh, one of our department goals is to have all of our staff uh, as licensed amateurs. And so that's part of their annual review is to um, obtain their license or to upgrade their license.
0: Do you have many uh, uh, general radio operator licenses here?
2: I'd say probably about 60% have a commercial level license as well. And uh, the other ones are working towards that.
0: Some of this stuff gets pretty small, and, and you've got the tools here to look at it with, I see.
2: Yeah, actually, the the components are getting down to about the size of a grain of pepper. So in order to work with those, we have to have specialized tools, uh, microscopes. So we actually have a bunch of these microscopes for the the technicians to be able to see what they're working on.
0: And uh, this bench right here has got, what I'd count at least, three different soldering irons.
2: Well, there's so many different varieties of uh, tips and things like that. So, we, you know, we have some of the... The wellers first, the larger stuff, and then we have a really fine-tipped, get down into almost like tweezer size for working out the the really small components.
0: So what are these, Scott?
2: Well, these are actually going to be for 911 dispatch operators. So they're going to be sitting here. When you call in 911, they'll answer them right on this equipment, and then they'll dispatch the fire, police, or whatever other resources they need right on these computer screens. So...
0: So all that is, is tested out, and you know 911 should work.
2: Well, that's the whole thing. It's very critical that it does work. So, you know, we, we build it all here. We test it all here. We bring the, the customer here to train on it. And when they feel that they're very comfortable with it, then we box it up and, and ship it to the customer's location for installation. This is the laboratory where
1: they experiment, they test, they do other things that might not be uh, production and this is this is one of Scott's benches here, and there again, more test equipment, but oh, I was going to say, but not a soldering station. Share with us what kind of stuff you do back here.
2: Uh, part of what I do is uh, working out interfacing and coming up with uh, unique, uh, unique designs.
1: So there's some custom stuff we get to do here.
2: Oh, definitely, yeah. And
1: it kind of plays right into you being a ham and tank- tinkering with and... Enabling or adjusting features, functions, and benefits that didn't exist beforehand, right? <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things that at Dayton Hamvention they tried to promote, Ham Radio being the original makers. But there, if you go far enough back, we were original hackers and builders and experimenters and uh, some Frankenstein Frankenstein designs, right?
2: <laughs> I have plenty of those.
1: Well not only does Scott get to tinker and play around with this, but he's also set up our D Star Lab here. Uh coverage internal into the building, so uh allows some of us during break to get on the D Star network and play. It's it's one of the more simple designs when we looked at the building yesterday. They're in a high RF environment being in downtown Bellevue. Here, not so much. I mean, we got the commercial two-way stuff in their frequencies, the marine product in their frequencies, and ham radio here can basically exist on its own. What we have here is what we call a full stack. We have the repeater controller connected to the gateway server. We have a 1.2 gig voice module, 1.2 gig data module, a UHF voice module, and a VHF voice module. The cool thing about the controller is it can control all four of these repeaters in one point. You don't have to have a controller for every band you're operating on. Uh, We've got very simple mobile duplexers. Uh, There again, because we're not in a real high RF environment, we don't need to have the huge cans that Scott builds into some of the commercial stuff or... Even in these beautiful rolling stacks beside us. George, remember I'd commented that this is a laboratory and experimentation. And as we were moving around stuff to get to the D-Star stack, uh, look at this little orange jewel I found here. There's military connectors. Nice bright orange. Wow, a magical power switch. I'm, I'm kind of scared to open it up. Can I, Scott? I'm getting approval, a little after. Now that'll make any ham drool right there. My guess, looking at what Scott's got configured here, this would be some type of portable repeater. So looking at this, with the connections on the side of it, and a meter on it, my guess is there's batteries inside.
2: Yes, it'll run for about eight hours. Duplexers? Duplexers, repeater controller... It'll run on 10 volts to 60 volts DC, any voltage in between. It'll run on 80 to 280 volts AC, 50 or 60 hertz, and it floats.
1: And it floats what power output, 5 watts?
2: With the lid closed, it goes to 5 watts. With the lid open, it'll go to 45 watts.
1: And have you deployed this yet? This is a prototype unit. I'm drooling right now. I'm having a wipe up the slobber. This is beautiful, man. As I was putting that orange box away, Scott was sharing with me that somewhere in this building are a couple of Pelican cases with D-Star repeaters for rapid deployment like that. So it just goes to show that while I might be in the amateur division, there are definitely true hams still at ICOM. We've kind of gone from the commercial two-way, everything nicely, neatly wound and bound uh, to our ham stack. uh, Looking at the the repeater here, Scott's running some uh, antennas on the receivers, but everything looks like it's dummy load. Very nicely done to keep it in low profile and
0: real quiet here. So this is like uh, the the in-house D-Star repeater, huh?
1: This this is one of several of them here. Service department's got a couple of them that they can play around with. Uh, if we have a controller or an RF module to come back, that we can test it and see if we can reproduce what, what they're seeing. Uh, one of the biggest things is just anomalies in local sites that seems to be the biggest thing we'd had a couple of clubs that said that they could not hit the repeater and lo and behold it was a couple of frequencies mixing that ended up putting a huge signal down the antenna contacted a couple of the the radio operators one of them actually was an fm radio station that had a spur that was pretty annoying but man those guys were right on top of it the next day nulled it out and everything was clean but looking on the back side of it uh the controller as you can see the controller carries the the power lines uh, RJ45 with CAT6 cables to each one of the RF modules for control the 10 gig backbone which uh, we didn't bring into the US because there's actually more economical solutions now with 5.9 gig uh, Wi-Fi and then the master power control one of the nice things that this controller does is allow The operator to cross band repeat just by their settings of the call signs. So you could come in on two meters and come out on either 440 voice or 1.2 gig voice, depending on how you configure the call signs. Makes it a very nice, clean installation in cases, fans running like crazy, keeping everything cool.
0: Scott, we really appreciate you talking with us today and showing us a little bit about what ICOM Systems is about. You know, a lot of us amateurs, we only think of... Icon being into ham radio, but it looks like you do a lot more than that.
2: No, we do a lot of things. We do marine, aviation, amateur, land mobile, uh, real high emphasis on public safety. But uh, I really enjoy making the amateur systems. Uh, We've actually made quite a few of them, uh, the D-Star. So it's really uh, enjoyable to be able to use them. So uh, the system that we built over the summer, I I traveled, um, I was in Germany, and I was able to actually communicate on a D-Star system from there to the one we had built here, so it was a it was very uh, eventful. Well, George,
0: we've had a couple of busy days, haven't we? Yeah, we've had a couple of busy days, and it's not over yet. We got uh, Ham Nation in just a little while here. Yeah, we do. And before we get rolling for
1: Ham Nation, uh, as we were putting everything together i mean we run out of time to get things happen and one of the things that did not happen was putting a d star board in the 9100
0: well how are we going to check in the net tonight well
1: we're not going to be able to unless we take one of these mm-hmm. and a couple of these
0: the UT121 digital unit so i take it that's the magic d star board yes sir
1: it is and
0: Unlike what you 're famous for on smoke and solder, there is
1: no smoke or better not be any smoke and there 's definitely not any solder with it. This thing just snaps into place
0: well, if there is smoke we 're in the right place to take care of that
1: yeah, but everybody goes home in a few out in a few minutes, so but we 'll be in the net tonight
0: okay well let 's put the thing in there
1: all right well, unlike our service department, we have manual screwdrivers, they have those nice electric ones, so. The auto torque and (laughs) you still remember how to use one of these. You got a license, don't you? Yes, sir. I do, I do. So the hardest part of it is to take all the covers out. And last night you shot that on the seven thousand and with Kurt and he talked about shielding and grounding. Right. Well, there's a case inside of a case on this one. So there's a lot of screws to take out. So to help everybody enjoy this, I hope that in editing you'll make it go qu- much quicker.
0: Well, I'll get you started, Ray. I'll do step one. Excellent. Now, this is not one of those procedures we say, kids, don't try this at home. You can do this at home.
1: Yes, yeah, so we in the owner's manual, we outline everything you need to do to remove the covers, how to snap it in yourself. It is user installable. Uh, some dealerships will do it for you because we just have removed the top cover. Things that you do not want to try at home. These cables that are in here are secure, they're locked in place for a reason. Don't tug on them, don't pull on them, don't mush them around because usually what happens in a in a, one of these videos is a ribbon cable can easily get pinched. Open the front here. I'm going to lay the front over a little bit. Right here, it even has it labeled for you, UT-121. Okay. Look at how small that connector is. You got to be careful and line it up. It will snap into place. A Little notice on here, there is double-sided sticky tape. The double-sided sticky tape is to use to hold the UT-121 in place. So if you ship it or move it around, take it to field day, or put it in a vehicle for Rover VHF UHF contesting. It's good to have that in there to hold it in place. I know I would not want to try to work on this board. So just to, to look at, line it up where it goes, give you an idea where you're gonna put the double-sided sticky tape. And I know all the the warnings about ESD, electrostatic discharging and, and everything. I like to keep a hand on the case.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll do that too.
1: There it goes. Nice little tick on where it sits.
0: Do you feel it when it pops in?
1: Yes, sir. And I'm going to just move it a little bit because
0: just to wipe off any
1: oxidation. Oxidation, yes. Because I'm I'm not sure how old this radio is. It's been sitting in here for for a few months. It was in the other ham shack. Any of these sponges, these grounding sponges and that, while they're cool to look at, leave them where they are. Uh, We've got a ribbon cable right here with an aluminum foil on it. It's grounding it to shield. All of those are very vital. Leave them, leave them alone. And then now we start our task. And watching how everything lays, lays back into place, let that cable fall in. The, the front panel is keyed, so when you go to put it back in place, you can see the, the ridge here. It's that way on both sides. Make sure it lines up. Don't be bashful. If you have to have a magnifying lens to see that, pull it out.
0: I'm talking with Jesse here in the trade shows department of ICOM, and we're going to look at what goes into setting up a show at Dayton or or any of the 100 shows that they do a year. Jesse, good to meet you.
3: Good to meet you. Very good to meet you.
0: So what happens back in this part of the building?
3: Uh, Back here, we set up and ship out the close to 100 shows that we do per year. Um, That's anything from um, the planning Uh, from the first stages of that to um, the actual preparation of the equipment, especially when new equipment comes in and we want to focus on stuff like that. um, uh, That'll generate new displays and and other items, too. So uh, anything from a 10-foot by 10-foot booth up to a 50-foot by 70-foot booth is what we we kind of assemble back here. Um, And that's just what we have here. We actually have two different storage locations where we keep other of our main shows like the Dayton and the IWCE show that we do down in Las Vegas. Um, but back here, a lot of preparation, um, radio buildups and, and other display stuff too.
0: So the one that, uh, we see a lot, the, I guess the display that Ray takes with him that all folds out in a case, y'all built out here.
3: Yes, we did. Yeah. And, and, um, we have two case builders that uh, live out in the Whidbey Island area, and they've been just a tremendous help, too, with, with getting some of the major construction done on the booth. So we have raised big amateur cases, but in our Marine Division, we have three more of those cases as well. Um, we call those our ice boxes. So same concept, you open them up, and all of our radios are flush-mounted inside. Um, over the years, we've done water tube designs and tanks and everything in there, too, and it's a real catch for a lot of people. They get a real kick out of uh seen a lot of our staff
0: wow well it makes a difference i mean uh, people attending trade shows that's a lot of times that's your first impression of a company and you want it to come off clean and organized and y'all do a great job of it let's look around a little bit at, at what you got going here
3: sounds good to me let's take a look
0: so this is a few of the radios that you take out uh, what all do we have here
3: uh to better help us with the organization since icom is a is a big player in the radio industry and not just for amateur radio but marine radios they're they're just you hear some of the stories from a lot of the people that we travel with and and they're really excited about the the products that we bring them so we've got marine products our land mobile division amateur radios and we have our avionics division up here and we had to kind of keep them separated out because there's just so many so many radios and stuff um a lot of the smaller 10 by 10 shows, this is where we really get in and, and do the individual packing. Um, what we've done over the years to help streamline the process of the trade shows um, and to get us in and out of there a little faster make it easier on the sales team is start assembling a lot more kits. So a lot of these are like, uh, especially with Ray, we got our amateur radio kit, and we have a small show kit, and we have um, other ones too just to make the, the presence great, uh, the equipment streamlined, and then... Um, just our our accessibility in and out of there a little bit easier, too. Um, So this show, this items here, what we would pull to either uh, get into the kits or um, build to uh, support a lot of the reps that do our other um, events and shows and stuff, too.
0: So they don't show up there, and there's a lot of just standard icon boxes sitting there, and they're unpacking new radios and screwing everything together. You've pretty much got it to where they can just run and gun they can set up quick and when it's time to leave tear down quick
3: exactly and and the better that comes together for the sales team the more effective that they're going to be too um so everything really does tie together uh over the broad spectrum of the entire the entire trade show
0: and trade shows cost a lot of money so you want to do it right when you go out there do you um do you carry spares or the radios just so good that you don't need spares?
3: My buddy Steve right now, um, who's not here at the shop right now, um, he'd be laughing at me because he knows already that I do like to take a couple extra spare items here and there. You never know what's going to happen. Um, anything from just that one extra power wire, it comes down to just something like that. And, and having that backup is, is always a good thing, too, especially for the team out there and, and, and just making things a little bit easier on everybody.
0: I mean, it almost looks like... Uh a radio uh, display room in here. You, you've got all the different models, and I see you've got all the accessories and everything you need all organized over here. A lot of power cords, I guess. Hey, you got to have power.
3: Exactly. You really do. And and what you see such a large amount of stock for is uh, there's some weekends where we have four shows going on at the same time. You could have a show in Florida, one in Texas, one in Oregon, you know, and, and one out here. Uh, and that happens quite a bit, especially when we're in the bulk of our show season. Um, you've got multiple, multiple shows. So uh, in those instances, if you came back and looked, you're like, well, you don't have too much stuff in here because it's already out on the road uh, traveling around and stuff. So,
0: yeah, True. I guess there's a lot of logistics to getting the right stuff at the right places. Gorilla tape.
3: I'd say that's kind of like gaffer's tape. Save saved the day quite a quite a few times at this point.
0: Boy, I bet it has. It's uh, all behind-the-scenes stuff. And, hey, if you get there and something's broke, and, and the show's still got to go on.
3: The show definitely still has to go on. There's no joke. Um, whatever we can do to better prepare ourselves for it, it's the best thing we can do.
0: Uh, I see you go through quite a few tie wraps, too, so you don't just uh, throw the wires behind there. You've got them... All-secured batteries. Wow. Yeah, I guess you use a lot of batteries.
3: Yeah, especially in our Marine division um, with the uh, floating radios that we have, the um, M36 especially, it's a great radio, but uh, we like to keep it powered up and show people the uh, accessibility of of having that backup battery tray for them.
0: These are a lot of nice Pelican cases here. Is this uh, what you use to ship out um, to all shows, or are there other things you ship out of here?
3: We, we do a large variety of shows with, with the Pelican cases and the durability and the um, availability of, of all the foam designs that you can do inside uh, completely protect our equipment. So these are the way to go for, uh, for our trade shows. Other than the main kits that we do uh, um, with the bigger cases and everything, the rest of our equipment is generally packed within these, uh, these things here. What helps us out is, is like I say, pre-packing other items that you we know that we're going to do and use quite often throughout the year. Um makes it a little bit more efficient for us and, and easier as they come back we you know we know the equipment that 's in there and, and can get it all tidied up, so leaving those alone and 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 packed up here uh make the shows flow just that much smoother as well
0: so you support the boy scouts uh with some of this uh I guess maybe d expeditions too
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, um we get a call in uh from time to time to to help support those out as well and um Boy Scouts of America, it's been a it's been a great kit to build up and and get those shipped out. I got one shipping out today, as a matter of fact. So we're going through that here a little bit later on.
0: Yeah, I saw those two years ago. I think uh, you had one at Dayton. They were displaying when I guess you first set up that particular kit.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think it, I think it's been great. I mean, especially getting that technology out there and, and having. Um, you see that, and I mean that's that's the future of of ham radio. So, um, sparking interest in in kids at that age, and then as they grow up and they want to, you know, discover that even more on their own and, and and continue to to grow their knowledge in the technology. It's it's great. It's a great event, and I'm glad that we've been able to help out.
0: So it's like a regular stock room in here. I mean, they've got a little bit of everything.
3: The variation of the different equipment and. Um, so many battery packs and so many different chargers and supplies and everything, uh, the labeling is key. That's really keeps our, our heads on straight Pack here. It makes it a little easier to go back, pick, and grab and everything. So uh, we've been trying to do our best as we've um, built these shelves um, to do that. And uh, I think we'll just kind of continue on and, and continue to progress and, and just make it easier and, and more streamlined for, for the future. So uh, this is where we support trade shows and, and other ham fests and stuff, especially the ones that we can't attend. Um ICOM really is, is generous in, in lending out uh uh the literature materials and the other swag that, that kinda goes along to uh, certain shows. And this room is just the safe, secure lock up zone for all of our uh all of our items. T shirts and other other work shirts that we uh do to uh, support our staff and and our team of people that are out there on the, on the road.
0: So is this a new style of ICOM hat here, or is is this an oldie but a goodie? I'm
3: going to go oldie but goodie. Um, some items we do such a limited production run on that really ICOM products in general, the swag that we have, it's all, it's all something you want to hold on to and, and wear it proudly, too. And, and that's what... I really enjoy about sending items out to, uh, to support HamFest and to support, um, especially the guys that are out uh, teaching the amateur classes and stuff, too. Um, these items go a long ways, and I think they touch the lives of a lot of different people in, in different ways, too. Um, the literature that we send out and, and just to something as small as, like, a little patch can, can really bring a smile to somebody's face. I like to consider, I feel like sometimes it's like Santa Claus all year long.
0: So it looks like this room is where things start to get serious.
3: That's right. This is actually one of my favorite rooms. Um, it's the uh, garage away from home. Uh, we've got our our power equipment, our saws, our cutters, our Dremel tools. Um, but this is where the displays really take shape. And um, the actual f- final packing for the shows happens. Um, all our shipouts and stuff go out of here. Um, so we spend quite a bit of time in this room. And uh, I love it. It's, it's great being able to, to get really hands-on with the projects and, and – Really, your hard work, and then when it's out there on the show floor and it's doing its thing, and people are excited about the radio or they're looking in at things, um, those are the parts for me that really feel um, like really warming. You know, those are the good sensations. So,
0: and it all starts here. It's got to be built somewhere, and uh, why not do it yourself? So you've got woodworking tools, I guess, stuff to work with plastic or or just just whatever it takes. Most of
3: your stuff's custom built, right? Yeah, yeah. The majority of our stuff is is all custom built. Um, the uh, and like I say, so the final packing and stuff too. When you do a sweep around here, you'll see like this is the area that that all the I uh, mean, uh, fun parts happen at.
0: So this is how they get right to the various trade shows.
3: <laughs> yeah, this uh, this here is a good example of something that our case builders have helped us out with in the past. So in here is our D Star display, and if you're at Dayton, um, this is this is that big t-star display that you saw in our booth
0: so all those great slick glossy icon literature that you see in the shows and uh, at your dealer here's where it all comes from if someone's interested in a particular rig can they call or write or email and you'll ship them what they need
3: yep all of the above as a matter of fact uh, we try to really get our information out there and into the hands of the people that are really looking for it. Like I say, too, we we support the other uh, amateur radio uh, community, the uh, ham classes, the uh, other ham fests and stuff that we can't attend. So a good bulk of this product will go not only to our dealers but into the hands of individuals.
0: Of course, with all the literature and ads that ICOM does, they need an area like this, a photo booth, to produce those quality pictures with, and I—I I see they've even got a green screen back here. So these are some of the banners that that you'll see at the bigger trade shows.
3: Yeah, and as a matter of fact, what we what we want to do over time is as. The promos and stuff, you know, because sometimes it's just one show. The graphic only really works for it that one time. Um, instead of just recycling or throwing it away, we want to recycle it by putting it back on the walls out here. So I think doing that would really kind of spruce up the area a little bit, make it not look quite like a prison. Um, but uh, give people just a little smile to to come into here when they every time they come into work, you know.
0: You really must ship a lot of stuff out of here. And this is uh, a big, big display right here. How much does something like that weigh?
3: Uh, close to fourteen or fifteen hundred pounds. Yeah.
0: So not a one man job. To
3: you can do it with one, but it's a lot. Of, it's a lot easier with two. It looks like a lot of cases, but each one, especially up in this area here, is our individual kits. So as like our avionics shows come up, we have Oshkosh Air Show, which is around the end of July, that we're going to be prepping for soon. Uh, we support their their ground crews with a lot of our communications equipment as well. So I have an entire pallet you know, 800-pound pallet full of radios and stuff that we do to support them. And we go through each radio individually, make sure items are charged up, nothing's broken, um, because that's going to be what the pilots are communicating with, what what they're taxiing airplanes and stuff out with, too. So we want to make sure everything's going to be working good for them.
0: Well, Jesse, we appreciate you talking to us and giving us a little bit of uh, insight into what goes into some of the trade shows and events that uh, ICOM exhibits at, as well as, your, your literature distribution here, you know, it takes a lot to keep a big company like this going. And, uh, I guess they're glad to know you, you've got their back.
3: I'm, I'm just glad to support ICOM. It's been a great company. This has been without a doubt, the greatest job I've ever had and having the opportunities to travel and to, to talk to the people we talk to out there, especially on the show floor. Um, I take my hat off to ICOM. I think this is great. It's been Best opportunity I've had and uh, met a lot of great people from it, too.
0: One final question. Are you a ham? I am a ham. Your call sign?
3: K-E-7-L-Y-K. Okay.
0: Well, maybe we'll catch you on the air sometime. Definitely. 7-3. All right. 7-3. Thank you. I'm in the office of Greg Hake now in the technical support department at ICOM. Greg, good to meet you.
4: Good to meet you, too. And thanks for coming by. Tell me what goes on in technical support here. What what does this department do? Uh, Technical support has a very varied role here at ICOM America. First of all, as many of the amateurs out there know, we... Uh, we take emails in our uh, system here and then we address those as best we can via email. Uh, we also take phone calls directly through our phone queue and answer questions that way. So, a lot of the, the daily questions and answers that an amateur radio operator might have, we will deal directly here. Uh, Some of the items may require testing. We do have a a, uh, fully functional uh, test room where we can test a lot of the issues that that the uh, radio operators are having with their product also. So um, uh, it may take us a little time to come up with some of those answers, but we will uh, do that oftentimes. Um, Obviously, we have a lot of things going on here, so many of the tests that we do, uh, do have to be scheduled, but we do have the ability of of testing radios uh, for issues that a customer might be having if there is a problem that we see with a product that is verified, then we can go ahead and uh, detail the the method of uh, recreating the problem, and then we document it in a way and troubleshoot as best we can, and then we will meet with ICOM in Japan uh, via telephone or a television uh, conferences and try to uh, troubleshoot the issue that way. And if it has to be researched further in ICOM Japan, they will take care of that. Uh, once they've come up with a, a solution, uh, technical support will then figure out a plan of attack for for uh, solving that problem with uh, the uh, radio owners here in the United States of America. We also deal with the documentation for the products so a lot of the, the documentation for the ICOM America products uh, especially in the amateur realm are are pretty straightforward but not all of our divisions are that straightforward for the commercial products that we do here uh, some of the, the documentation, the procedures for programming are very specific and involve scenarios. So we redo documentations here. We translate and put it in English, and then put it in a sequence to where it's understandable to our users. If we have to do that with the amateur products, we will do that also. We will beta test everything in this department also. So anything that that ICOM releases, be it software or firmware or hardware. Uh, it comes into this department, and then we uh, we'll figure out a plan of attack for testing that particular uh, firmware, software, or device. Uh, we will test it thoroughly uh, as best we can, and then we will either release it or reject it. If it is rejected, then obviously it goes back to home company where they've they tried to resolve the issue that we saw with that product or firmware. With any product, there are... Uh, an unbelievable amount of variables in how you can program that device or uh, what button pushing you're going to do. So it's really impossible for us to find every problem with the radio. But we will take it through a, a, a several-week process whereby we test everything that we possibly can uh, to, to find any problems that might occur before we will release that software, firmware, uh, hardware, et cetera. Um, We are the keepers of our documentation for ICOM America, also, for the uh, users of our radios that have ever gotten onto our knowledge base, they can get onto what we call our end user knowledge base from our ICOMAmerica.com website, and they can find uh, hundreds of articles on our various products, some of the uh, ways of using them properly, a lot of educational things, and this department writes those documents and makes sure that they're posted also. Uh, so we do a, a variety of things here in the building. Technical support in our other divisions, I mean, it's the same group of people, but for, like, a commercial product, we will actually uh, fly out and troubleshoot issues on the road for big million-dollar systems, etc. also. So we have a very varied role within the company. So how many uh, people work here in tech support? Tech support um, has been very consistent as far as the number of people that are working here. Um, For those of you who have dealt with with ICOM America over uh, a long period of time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we've really had pretty much the same number of people in this department the whole time. Right now we have five uh, technical support people that are actually answering the phones uh, when fully staffed. Uh, we also have a a, uh, a documentation person uh, who writes finishes writing all of our articles and posts them onto our knowledge base, uh, and then we have a liaison from uh, ICOM in Japan who is a, a, a Japanese engineer who translates, uh, researches deeper issues, etc. So, a total for the most part, as far as uh, facing the customer, we have five guys that that do ICOM America's technical support. Uh, there is this thing out there called the internet which has changed things dramatically um, because of the internet and because of ICOM america's visibility uh... we have become for the most part technical support for the world so we have five people that uh... uh are handling tech support for uh... planet earth we haven't moved to the moon or mars yet uh, that's following but uh... five people basically are supporting everything luckily As uh, ICOM has evolved, although our products are getting much more detailed, we're moving into the IP realms, et cetera, uh, we have been able to improve our knowledge set uh, and also figure out more ways of efficiently answering questions. So we've never increased the number of people that perform the support function. Although we have more questions, more detailed questions, uh, with the knowledge base and with uh, better testing techniques, we've been able to handle everything Uh, with the the five uh, direct support people that we have right now. Uh, That doesn't mean there are times when we're a little bit short-staffed, around lunch times. Uh, During Dayton, we had the majority of our crew in Dayton uh, acting as uh, tech support at that particular convention, which means there were fewer people here, and some of you may have noticed that we had a little bit longer wait times during that period of time. But for the most part, uh, we do the best we can with the five people that we have in the building right now. And it looks like
0: those five people must be pretty efficient because I just came through the room and not everybody was on the phone. So y'all um, must turn around pretty quick here. And I, I guess you have a lot of the same questions, a lot of the same issues repeat, and you, you know how to handle that just right away. Well, tell me, and I know this is not your department, but if somebody is talking with you here and you determine that their rig has a problem and needs to come back. What are the steps that that rig will go through before it's returned to them?
4: If somebody calls us up and says that they're having problems with a radio, uh, generally we won't immediately say send it in first of all. Uh, We'll try to figure out ways for them to do a little more troubleshooting on site. So if you are an amateur radio operator and you're having some issues, rather than just having you send a radio in at great cost, we do realize that, uh, we would suggest that if you know somebody else in your amateur radio uh, club, generally in your area, to find out if they have a way of testing some of these things also. And if if everybody agrees that it really has to be seen by a technician, what we ask the person to do is go to our website, which is icomamerica.com, and click that support tab. And then there's a section there that says, how do I send my radio in for repair? Uh, we think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, and it will tell you how to find a service center in your area. It will tell you how to pack the radio, um, et cetera. So pretty much detailed instructions are, are uh, presented to the amateur radio user on our website. Uh, we do ask that you use the uh, search engine to find a, a service center near you only because uh, it, it decreases shipping time overall, shipping costs, and also because if everybody attempts to send it here, then we become backlogged, and really you're going to have a longer wait time if you send your radios here if it's not the radio or if it's not the service center that you need to be sending it to. So we want you to send it to your geographically appropriate service center. All the technicians have been trained by us. Uh, They are certified by our service manager, Dwayne Black, Uh, So you should get uh, equally effective repairs no matter where you send it. So uh, get on the website, find out that information, uh, pack up your radio as it explains on the website, and uh, send it in. And if it was to come in here, it basically comes into the door. Uh, We have people that will uh, open up the box. They will inventory everything that's in that box, uh, notate that. It is given a a tracking number, and then it is taken to the service department. Once it's in the service department, it's in line to be looked at. And obviously, when your radio comes in, we don't have a guy sitting there just waiting for that radio to come in. Unfortunately, it would be nice, but we have to keep our costs down. So when the technician is available, he will get to your radio. uh, He will examine it. He will uh, troubleshoot it. And if you have asked for an estimate before repair, he'll give you a buzz and and let you know what's wrong with it and and approximately how much it's going to cost. Obviously, that becomes much more difficult if you haven't told him what's wrong with the radio. And uh, probably 50% of the radios that come in, the description of the problem just says, please fix. Uh, Radios are far too complex to just please fix so we do ask everybody to make sure that if you're having a problem tell us how we can reproduce it how often it occurs and as detailed as symptoms as you possibly can give us so any uh, environmental factors that may be going on what other devices do you have connected to it when you're seeing this problem etc and all that information will give the technician a much a uh, larger amount of, of intuition as far as what's going on with the radio. Uh, once a radio is uh, fixed, assuming you've approved the estimate, uh, it is sent back to our shipping department. They verify that everything that was on the inventory is uh, included with the radio and it is repacked and then sent back to the customer.
0: Well, that's a good description there. And, yeah, I would agree it's very important for the customer to tell you what's wrong with the radio. There's no reason to uh, pay a repair technician the extra time to figure it out on his own. If you can tell him up front, you've you've saved him some time and you've saved yourself a little bit of money and you got a better chance of he he'll actually fix what was wrong with it. That's correct. Well, you've got another room over here that looks real interesting. I, I want to step in for just a moment and let's let's take a look at your testing room greg in this room it looks like you've got almost every icom radio there ever was or is still in the field of course i know that's not exactly accurate but just what do you have in here
4: we have radios that are common question radios in here and and you can see in this particular shot you're probably seeing a hundred different radios here that are of the mobile or base station variety. Uh, Many of these radios are no longer being sold. We still support them. We still get a lot of questions on them. Luckily, uh, a lot of our radios, uh, the majority of the radios are still out there in the field. So as long as we get a lot of questions, we will keep them in this test room. We always have to remember that uh, we probably have 1,500 different models of radios that we still answer questions on. Uh, we're not going to be able to keep all of those in here, uh, nor do we still have representative samples of those radios. We just have the ones that are relatively recent and uh, uh, still a, a pretty popular radio as far as questions that, that are asked for, of us.
0: So you've got gear in here for testing, and I guess you actually have to recreate what might happen out in the field. So what are these racks for?
4: We have a lot of things in the test room that are, that are functional, uh, IP connected devices. Um, If you look at the rack that has the silver repeaters on it, for those of you that are involved with DSTAR, you can see that these are DSTAR repeaters. These are operational, they are connected to the web. Uh, We use these to, to test radios as we talk around the world with them. So this is a fully functional site. Uh, On the same rack, we also have on the bottom of it, I don't know if you can see it in the shot, an old school LTR system that we use for testing. LTR is not an amateur product, but it is still a very popular product in the commercial world. Uh, The center rack and the rack on the far right are both NXDN or IDAS uh, trunking systems. Actually, we have both conventional multi-site, we have Uh, multi-site trunking system and single-site trunking systems on these racks. They also are connected to the web. We have uh, numerous ISP providers that are piped into the building. They're not affiliated with the ICOM network at all. So some of these repeaters are on different ISPs. So in essence, they are virtually thousands of miles apart, and we use those for testing. We have a lot of NXDN repeaters on these racks that are not Amateur products. There are a large number of people now that are using the NXDN protocol uh, as part of their amateur radio communications. So There's a, a massive system down in Florida, as an example, that is interconnected, and that's all run and operated by uh, the amateur radio uh, groups in Florida. Uh, these repeaters that we see on these sites here, again, they are fully functional. They are connected to other sites uh, throughout Washington. Uh, we can connect them also with uh, other technical support people. Uh, we have uh, representatives in uh, Wisconsin and also down in Texas. Uh, and we can talk to them just like they're in the room next to us. So we use all of these things. They are, they are connected. We are testing them real time. Um, so it gives us that real. Uh, experience when we test these things. Next to the rack on the right, we have uh, uh, some of our monitoring equipment for the NXDN product. And you can see uh, one of our technical support guys, Harry Dewan, who many of you may have talked with at uh, Dayton. And he is currently setting up a system for one of our customers down in in California. So uh, we have the ability to monitor this stuff. We connect and remote into computers. Uh, and help program for not only the commercial products, but uh, even more so now with the IP products for Amateur. The RSBA-1, as many of you know, is extremely popular. It is also an IP product. Uh, It is a product that, that ICOM wrote the software for the RSBA-1. Uh, We have nothing to do, unfortunately, with the IP connection itself. So Harry is one of the people that will get on the phone with you and help you connect to your IP uh, network, uh, whoever administers that. So right now he's working on some issues with that.
0: So if someone has a problem with a radio, then you'll come back in this room possibly Pick that radio out and try to recreate the steps that he did to, to find that problem and, and verify that,
4: yes, it uh, really is a problem. That's correct. Uh, the majority of the problems, uh, as you were saying earlier, the majority of the problems we hear on a regular basis. So when somebody is having difficulty programming a specific function, we've probably heard that before, and we can tell you the little tricks for doing it. But if it's a new thing, then uh, we'll grab a radio, we'll reproduce it if we can, and then using our uh, uh, knowledge of other issues that have happened with the radio, we can help you explain why you're... Uh, anomaly is occurring or determine whether or not it's a failure with the radio.
0: Well, Greg, we really appreciate you taking time out to talk with us today and explain a little bit about what goes on in uh, customer support here. It sounds like a great team and you've got the procedures down to where you can really minimize the amount of time it takes to get to the root of the problem. We appreciate you talking with us and... I just want to ask you, are you a ham?
4: My call sign is KD7QEF. All right. Good to
0: meet you in 7-3.
4: It's great meeting you, too. Thanks for coming by.
1: All right, George, here we are at the entrance to the service center. As you can see, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. with an hour for lunch. Let's go see how things happen. As you come in... uh, We have different personnel that will be behind the counter. This is usually for Miss Lori Phillips, but during a break or things like that, uh, we have a will call area right here where you could just ring a buzzer if somebody's not here. But along in the showroom, George, when we toured the museum area, talked about a lot of Marine Awards. Well, hams really know us for amateur radio. Take a look at some of the awards that we've won. Once the radio comes in, the reception area, it goes back into our warehouse to where we log in by serial number. We pull up any past repair history, whether it was here or at one of our authorized service centers. And just general uh, cleanup, boxes, any accessory count and anything like that happens. Also, whatever your favorite freight carrier they will bring into our warehouse as well to be logged in. Along in our service area, we have our, uh, our storage shelves of uh, product that are coming in. Uh, the several carts here for stuff that has been repaired and then on their way out. Here's one of our HF techs working on a 756 Pro, one of the early models. Uh, just a quick look over on in the inside. And uh, George, there's a pair of those microscopic binoculars again. It's a common theme nowadays.
0: Looks like it, yeah. I I guess I need to get a set. Just
1: a quick view inside of this radio. This this radio is about how old, Don? Oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) At least probably about 10 years, maybe older than that. If you look at how everything is compartmentalized, you've got your your PA section, you've got your RF filter board, then you have your tuner uh, and RF output. As with that 9100 that we installed the update on, there's a cover to go over the top of that to keep all the RF out of each other. Here we are in the parts department. While we've got bins and bins of parts, whether they're large parts, chassis, or microscopic parts, this is where they get stored. We process orders here uh, when customers want to dabble in their own radio or when our service techs need to have them. Well, we got boxes laying on the floor here. We just received a shipment of uh, components that are coming in, and everything is barcoded here. Not only does it get barcoded, but it gets entered in on the computer system where each bin is stored, so we keep a real accurate inventory of everything that we have.
0: Overall, I had a great time visiting ICOM America. The facility is modern and well-equipped, The staff members were very friendly and knowledgeable, and I got the feeling that everyone cared about what they were doing and enjoyed it. It looks like these guys do it right. And they've got plenty of radios, too.